You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to chat with Brendan Hufford, founder of Growth Sprints, to learn how he grew active campaigns traffic by 20% in just 30 days. The tactics that Brendan shared are ones that any team can use, especially if you're limited to a small team or budget, or you just need to chalk up your first SEO wins to get buy-in for bigger, more expensive, longer-term projects. You'll learn his thoughts on top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel content and the value of each, how to improve internal linking, the power of index or glossary style content, how to add more relevant scroll stopping call to actions to your articles, and a ton more. I really hope you enjoy it. Brendan, this is a huge honor for me. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You, uh, I, like I said, off mic, I see you everywhere on LinkedIn. Um, I see your posts come up all the time. So it's super cool to actually get to chat with you, uh, dig in and, and uh, talk about how you grew organic traffic. Um, and yeah, just thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm hoping we can share some really interesting things for everybody today that's interesting and educational, but also super actionable, right? Like things you could do today that'll actually help you. Yeah, I love this. I'm 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 even more excited than I was before because you told me like let's frame this as like some quick wins anyone could kind of take action on and and utilize, especially if they don't have like a massive budget. Sometimes these episodes, um, we actually had someone comment about that like, hey, this was a great like. Well, they didn't say great. I think it was a great insight shared about growing attendees, but they were like, yeah, but what was this person's budget? This isn't attainable by everybody. So this is an episode that will hopefully be attainable by everyone and like actionable things you can take away. So, um, okay, cool. So for the people who don't know, um, we're going to be talking about how you grew organic traffic by 20% in 30 days at active campaign. You're no longer there. So give the, like for people who don't know what you're up to now, can you give like the 30 second pitch of like what you're doing kind of how people can connect with you and how you're helping companies now. Yeah, I, there's two main things that I work on right now. Uh, the first is uh, I own a agency consultancy. I'm not sure what to call it because it's just me uh, called Growth Sprints at growthsprints.co where I help SaaS and software companies get more customers. Uh, usually companies that are in the 10 to $100 million ARR range are ideal for me. Uh, we work in short marketing sprints. So kind of throw that long SEO retainer contract out the window um, and do work that actually matters. Uh, the second thing that I'm working on a lot uh, is also just coaching other agency owners. Uh, I'm the head of coaching in uh, this thing called Blueprint Training. It's the blueprint.training is the URL. Um, and if you run an agency, you should absolutely check that out. That the things we teach there is exactly what I do in my agency. Uh, and I wanted to be like the poster child for it because I'm the head of coaching there. Um, so, you know, whether it's positioning, offer design, just things that a lot of agency owners don't even think about. Uh, if you're doing any sort of consulting or run an agency, definitely check that out. Awesome. All right. So to kick things off, um, active campaign, um, customer experience, automation, um, email, CRM tools, you focused on growing organic traffic there. You worked on a lot of that. What metrics were important for you and your team to look at? Like, what were you tracking at the time? What was important to them at the time? Yeah, I think you, uh, if nobody caught it, I want to put a pin in this. Active campaign does a lot of things. <laughs> and you kind of like, we're like, yeah, CRM, email, marketing automation. We also had outbound <laughs> and like a bunch of other stuff. Like, the tool does a lot of things and it's a pretty great tool. There's a lot, I think there's like 180,000 customers or something like that now. It's pretty significant. Um, what was cool about working there was I was really, when I went there, I was really burned out 
from the place I was before. And I was burned out from being in leadership and just being stuck in meetings and also having a really bad toxic culture. Going to active campaign was very much uh, twofold. Number one, I wanted to take one step back to allow myself to have the headspace to take three or four steps forward. I've done that twice in my career. I think more people should do that. We always want to just climb endlessly. You know, you hear the career podcast, people just keep, well, then I went to this and then I went up, 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 up. And it's like, sometimes we'd be better served taking one step down and then taking like four steps up. And that's what I've done twice. So I went there to work with uh, Benjamin Elias, who is now at, I think he's the director of growth at Podia. I hope I got his title right. Podia is a wonderful company as well. Um, and I absolutely adored Benjamin for a long time and was really happy to have the chance to work there. But really like my, I was brought in under, I had applied for some like partnership content manager and Benjamin was like, you're not that, <laughs> that's not you. Uh, like, cool. Thanks for applying. But like, let's yeah. figure out what you are here. Cause I have this weird, like deep generalism <laughs> skill set, right? Like I can write really great homepage copy and I can also write a nurture sequence in emails and I can also do SEO and I can also run your podcast and do webinars. Like I, I have this weird entrepreneurial kind of skill set where I can do almost anything. So when he brought me in, it was really just like, hey, what I brought this uh, kind of like how I work with clients at Growth Sprints. I brought the sprint methodology in and I'm like, hey, I'm just let's just start a sheet. Just whatever works. Let's not overcomplicate it. We're not using any project management tools. Let's just start a Google sheet. Here's the five things I want to focus on. He's like, cool, put beginning and end dates on all of them and then let's get going. And that's kind of how I started. Mm -hmm. I just he's like, you look for opportunities. What's funny is this ended up being why I left Active Campaign because I got in this mode of like finding huge opportunities. Um, some of them, like the ones we're going to talk about today, I was able to execute on on my own, which was what makes us super valuable for listeners, right? You don't need a big team or any budget. I was just literally me toiling away doing this stuff. Um, but also towards the end of my time there, I would find really huge opportunities and it would just become a bureaucratic nightmare to do anything. Um, and that's not a great, just like getting me. approval or budget or what, what was that like struggle look like? Uh, a lot of internal politics to be like blunt about it, like design had input and then product had input and then the other people wanted to have input. And then, you know, a lot of like Monday morning, uh, you know, armchair quarterbacking of decisions and I may like move quickly kind of person. So I was like, let's go. And when it takes six months to update one page, that's a really rough pace for me. I feel really stagnant. So we're not going to share any of those things. Uh, oh, I mean, we can talk about it if you want. But I think what's most no, valuable no, no. is the, we definitely the getting stuff done piece, you know? Absolutely. No, I was curious, like, was it, you know, was it like a philosophical, like, belief that the projects were the right things? Was it a budget constraint? Was it, So, like, you've said enough. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Do you want me to give you a – I can give you a concrete example. If you want one, sure. The so we when when I came to Active Campaign, I left an agency that was a B two B SaaS marketing agency. So you would assume everybody that works there has a really good landscape of B two B SaaS. And when I told them I was leaving that agency to go to Active Campaign, half the people were like, "That's amazing, great, like congratulations." The other half of people were like, "What's Active Campaign?" And that's a Active Campaign sits in this weird, unique spot where we don't have an ICP. We don't, or, you know, they don't, uh, <laughs> they don't, the, like, it's just, we serve all businesses and that's a weird place to be mm. in. Um, as a marketer, I wanted to put a flag in the ground and like make that really loud. Like I see, like I wanted to like make that a, a spiky point of view, like, uh, having an ICP is dumb and positioning is dumb. Even though I believe in those things, I thought that would like <laughs> stir up some noise in yeah, conversation because yeah. it's what we believed sure. as a company. It's what our CEO believes in. 
So anyways, like I, when I left, they, we have this problem where like we have a ton of customers and huge ARR, like $150 million plus ARR. And yet so many people still have like, they don't know us compared to MailChimp or HubSpot. Nobody knows active campaigns. So we had this weird thing where like just a lot, a real lack of awareness and like coming in and starting to think all that through, like, uh, we had never written a blog post or a single piece of content that could rank for the terms sales CRM, marketing automation, or email marketing. And when you rank, I know that people are like, well, that's super top of funnel. Like, why would you rank for what is email marketing? Those people aren't going to buy email marketing software. Maybe not, but it makes sales conversations easier. All these other things get easier when you are the category leader, like MailChimp ranking. They literally rank number one and number two for email marketing, their product page mm-hmm. and a blog post. Google's like, yeah, they're the best. We'll give them both spots. Um, that's a big difference. So I came in and I was like, we need to rank for that sort of thing. So I wrote a blog post on my own outside of work hours for that email marketing and marketing automation. Then I was like, we're not, these are never going to rank. If we want them to rank, we have to merge them with our product pages. Our product pages already have a ton of internal links with the right anchor text. They already have thousands of backlinks from other websites. If we simply put this content on these product pages and we make a hybrid product page, which you see on a ton of software websites, right? Where it's like product information and sometimes they just do like bury the SEO content at the bottom, which sucks because it just means it's filler content. It's there to rank, not to actually help people. Um, That took like six months to get done. There was so, and I ended up like designing the page myself and Elementor and like just, I go fast. Like I will figure things out. Like what what makes this easier? What makes us, oh, then design wanted to do a full redesign and product marketing wanted to redo all the images. And then it's like, okay, this is insane. This is in, like, we could have been getting this started ranking six months ago. And I think now it's, we're actually on the first page for email marketing uh, for the first time ever. You know, we're kind of like drifting in that low first page, which is wild, right? It was, it's, that's a huge one. I think it'll come up over time. But my point is that's like a good concrete example of like the skill set that makes you a really good consultant or a really good early stage marketer where you just can wear a ton of hats and do a ton of things and like to go fast. Um, it's a totally different skill set than being yeah. in like a big company. When you so okay, let's start here. When you came in, you you said you had this kind of like a Google sheet of a few quick wins that you thought put dates around them. Um, what were some of those first things like? Was it clear? Were you identifying all these opportunities, or was there like a VP of marketing or something that was like, "Hey, we really, really need to start ranking for like email automation or like email tool," or like yeah. were there pre-existing? Was there any foundation of SEO that existed before you came in, or were you kind of just like building it from the ground up? Yeah, let me give credit where it's due. Uh, Benjamin Elias, who was my boss there, uh, was also uh, also Lauren Minning and Ernie Santorelli and a couple other people put a heroic amount of content on the website. We already had a ton of content. And uh, what was awesome about that was essentially imagine you uh, get the keys to this like huge mansion, but like nobody's cleaned it in five years. Like all it needs to do is get cleaned up. There's so many easy wins. And then it's this big, beautiful mansion again. Right. And that's pretty much what I had on my hands. Um, we had tons of traffic, you know, millions of site visitors a year from search and all these other things. And it was great. Um, we just hadn't done some like really 
easy housekeeping stuff when I looked and I looked at like content that was kind of decaying, meaning like it was just losing traffic over time or even content that was kind of on the bubble. Maybe it was on the first page, but not ranking well enough to get a lot of traffic um, and a couple other opportunities. That's kind of what I put in there. Do you want to drill down into those a little more specifically? Yeah. Like let's start with, um, so like, so framing it from the position, cause I feel like you're going to be able to go really deep on this, which is great. Like on SEO, like I said to you, uh, you'll often hear people go, Oh, like we wrote great content. We built backlinks. Yeah. It's not just like make great content or we got, we've, we got backlinks, yeah, but like, how did you send out a million emails begging for them? Did you buy them for a thousand dollars a piece? Like what actually happened? Exactly. First order is, uh, I wanted to look at internal links. I was coming off working at an agency and at that agency, we worked with Allstate Insurance. And one of the strategists that uh, I worked with uh, just noticed that they didn't have good internal linking. So we went through their, like, this is Allstate, the number two insurance company in the United States uh, behind State Farm. And we went through their website, found 250 times that they wrote the word car insurance. And we linked those phrases to their page on car insurance. It is not very insightful or creative, or and nobody should be impressed with that, except that immediately they ranked number one for car insurance and auto insurance, which is worth tens, hundreds of millions of dollars a year. I don't even know, right? Like that is so, and all wow. we did was add internal links. And people are like, you know, we're, we're like submitting it for awards. And the, the people that ran the awards were like, this is not a great campaign. We're like, yeah, but results. <laughs> Like you can't argue with that. So things like that are really interesting. So the first thing I did was I hopped in, just looked at our internal links, Uh, not from like a site architecture, like people make a career out of this stuff and they get spreadsheets on spreadsheets on spreadsheets. I'll, I'll tell you literally what I did. I went through, I took our core, most important pages we wanted to rank that email marketing, marketing automation, sales CRM. I went through the, I did a site colon Google search. So site colon activecampaign.com slash blog, because the blog is what I had control over. I didn't have control over the help docs or any of the other pages. The blog, I had free reign. So, all right, cool. Let me do what I can do. So I did looked at, did a Google search uh, for just the blog with the quotes, email marketing, I did, I use Ahrefs and on with Ahrefs, you can export, like if you set your search results to show a hundred instead of 10, you can do an export of that. And what that was essentially doing is Google was like, here's the 100 most influential pages on your site where you have said email marketing on the blog. Great. I went through those hundred pages. I made sure all those phrases, email marketing linked to our email marketing page. I did the same thing with marketing automation. Then Ahrefs, again, this is super easy. Um, Ahrefs has an internal linking tool as a part of their site audit. Most people don't know about this. It's so powerful. It's silly. It takes a lot of pruning because it's going to like churn up a bunch of junk. But I just went through that and I was like, hey, look, here's it kind of pulled like here's a bunch of other internal link opportunities. So I just went through and did those. Internal links was a big one. Uh, Then it just became a question of, all right, what are the bets we want to make? So we made a bet on the, what I call top content, the content ranking fourth through 10th, the decaying content, the content that brought in a lot of free trials. So kind of those big buckets. Uh, And then also the glossary. We had a severely under, we had a well-built, well-designed, well-internal linked glossary. We just, the entries were all like three sentences long. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's huge. Like I had seen glossaries just absolutely uh, for a a former client. Their glossary, I think, is worth $200,000 a month in paid traffic now. 
Like they, you know, if you have an audience that's technical, that those what is searches, people don't think that they're yeah they matter, but they are worth a lot. Um, so we really focused on that. So there was a revenue piece, but also a traffic piece, and also some like, hey, we're big bets, we or you know, medium sized bets we want to make. And then when we looked at those, um, I did a couple things for the glossary. I uh, added people also ask questions to them. So when I googled like, um, there's a CTOR click to open rate. Uh, when I Google what is CTOR, I looked at what the people also ask questions were in search results and just made those H2s and answered them on that page. And I went through and did that for every glossary entry for, uh, I think there was almost 100, like maybe 94, 95 glossary entries that I wow. manually Googled the thing, put them in there, wrote them out. I had a lot of help with that uh, from Benjamin Elias. Sorry, I really liked it. I don't like being name droppy, but I also really like giving credit where it's due. I think it's kind of stupid when people come on and they're like, I did all this. And it's like, yeah, did you by yourself? Right, you did. <laughs> um yeah. So like Benjamin was a huge help. I, I could not speak more highly of him as a human and as a mentor and as a coworker. Um, so he helped pull like those people also ask questions. And then it was just a lot of my job to like hop in and do a lot of that, making those updates. Um, some of the other pieces were uh, twofold. Number one, we had a lot of really generic calls to action in all of these, you know, posts and stuff. It was just like, you know, sign up for a trial. And I was like, what if we, I, you can already tell like everybody listening and watching, I'm sure you can tell as well that like, I have like a punchy personality. Like I like spiky points of view, things like that. So I was like, what if I just make all these calls to action really snarky, like one blog, you know, sign up for our newsletter and then another one to like get a free trial. Right. And I just make them funny. So they're these big green call out boxes, but they're silly and irreverent and like kind of funny when you get to them. You're like, oh, that's, you know what I mean? It stops the scroll. You're probably scrolling. Most people read blogs by scrolling and looking for the information that's most valuable for them. Most people don't just read beginning to end, but it's going to stop the scroll and you're going to be like, oh, that's, oh yeah, that's cool. Oh, neat. I don't even need a credit card to start a trial. Like I might as well. So things like that um, went through and updated those. And then I used a tool called Phrase. Um, it's kind of similar to ClearScope or Market Muse, if anybody's used any of those. I love Phrase. Um, and uh, went through and just updated for entities. There, was a, there were so many blog posts where, because we were too close to it, we just didn't talk about a bunch of important topics. And by, you know, Google uses a lot of those entities. They understand what phrases mean and tonality and stuff. Just going through, and I think there is a, because I have such a strong taste for good content, if you do that entity optimization, that because essentially what's happening is these tools are scraping the first 20 Google results for a keyword and then being like all these other things talked about these topics and yours didn't, so you should. So the, the vector direction is to create copycat content, right? Like just make it more sameness. Just get all the, they're talking about those entities. You're not talk about the same things they're talking about because they're ranking well. If you look right. at it as like that of like, let me just pu punch these words, these phrases and terms into the content, that'll just create more of that sea of sameness. But if you're creative like me, you're looking for, all right, cool. How do all of the other, and this is long and really laborious to do, look at how do all these other pieces of content talk about each of these phrases, um, phrase, the tool shows you how they do that really quickly. Uh, and then just go in and talk about them differently. Like, do I have an opinion on this? They're talking about, um, I don't even know, like the buyer's journey. 
and or you know the um oh, what's the word like the the funnel of you know the marketing funnel and i was like we could talk about the marketing funnel but i'm gonna say the marketing funnel is dead like people don't buy in a linear path anymore like that doesn't exist so right. i'll talk about those entities but i'm going to talk about them in a way that stands out and when you read it you go oh a human wrote this nice not right. just somebody trying to like churn out their weekly blog post. Okay, so this is incredible. I'm gonna. I wrote a few, tried to furiously write some notes of things I want to circle back on. A couple things. Um, okay, you mentioned uh, quickly decaying content. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so decaying content is content uh, that once performed well uh, and has since stopped performing well. This happens for a couple different reasons. Um, it could happen. I've done a bunch of experiments on my own sites, not on client sites, because uh, it's something I just believe in. Like if you're a content person or an SEO person, have your own properties that you can screw around with and do crazy things with because you don't want to get your your day job or a client's stuff penalized or you know whatever with a weird Google update, uh, which they roll out every month now, it seems. The, the way that I look at that is uh, two ways. Number one, sometimes the content is still great it just ha says it's from 2015 that tells Google it's really old. And I don't know about you, but if I Google something and I see a result that has a little date on it and the date says March, 2022 and the one right, you know, above it. And maybe that ranks second says March, 2015. And the one below it says March, 2022. I might open both yeah. in two tabs, but I'm probably gonna open the one that's seven years more recent, you know? So that's the thing. And Google's so weird. They still use the publish date. For those, even though they clearly can read the updated date, I love blogs that are like, this was first published here and it was updated here. But the way Google pulls, especially out of WordPress, is they just use the publish date to show in search. Mm. It seems like a huge, easy thing for them to, to fix. But as long as they're doing that, I'm going to keep updating the publish date. I've ran a couple experiments, like one on my own, a personal photography blog that I have, where I didn't even update the content for like two years. I would just update the publish dates and put like 2020, put the year in the title. And every year it would just bounce right back up. Like it would start trailing off and just skip back up and start trailing off and then skip right back up, which is kind of wild to see how influential that is. But for a lot of these, I just updated the publish date um, and that was a big piece of it. Like it was still great content. It just looked old. Um, maybe looked at writing a better, uh, you know, title that was more interesting. I look at look at titles coming from a conversion standpoint or like a click, you know, type of thing. Like almost like it's like YouTube where it's like, I want to earn that click yeah. versus like put your keyword, you know, whatever your pl SEO plugin says, like put your keyword first in the title. Ugh, no, thanks. I want to write something that makes somebody be like, oh, I need like if you see it in the results, I got to click that one. Um, so it's updating the title, it's updating that published date. Um, and then up to, like all the other pieces, the, uh, other things, but that decaying content, like it had just decayed. Cause like I said, either the content was old or it just appeared to be old. So it was a super easy win. And I think a lot of companies have that type of stuff where it's just, let's just audit our old content and be like, what, what's worth keeping here? Um, the, the CTAs, like, was this something that, this is something I think is challenging for a lot of brands. Like the temptation is just to go with like boilerplate, like sign up if it's a product led growth company or book a demo or something like, um, do you have any advice on like, did you craft unique like CTAs literally like based on the article or blog post? Like would some CTAs be like, go explore the product deeper or were they more all like, did you find that a universal approach was better? Like, yeah, sign up for the product in general if you're interested in this. 
Like, how did you think about setting those to be most effective? Yeah, I, th two different ways. Um, number one, I looked at like, there might be different things that people might want to opt into here. So sometimes they might just want to like, get more information. Maybe they're just learning. They're in a accumulation kind of phase. And they just want to get more information, like get our best tips on this topic. So they should sign up for the newsletter, right? Uh, other times, they're maybe a little closer to making a buying decision and a free trial might make sense. Um, other times, it might be a demo. But we, uh, in our work, really focused on that free trial. Um, that was a huge, a huge piece of it. So in looking at that, every like the blog sign up and the free trial sign up, both were like very specific to like me pausing for 10 minutes and being like, what do you, you know, and like a, the Ryan Gosling meme of, was that from the notebook where he's like, what do you want? Like just trying to figure out like <laughs> what people wanted out of this. Like, what do you want when you're on this blog post? What, like you Googled a thing. I'm pretty sure I know what you Googled to got, to get here. What did you really, what transformation are you seeking? And if I could harness that transformation, uh, that was where like we saw some like magic start to happen. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. What do you, th um, okay, so we're getting down. I want to make sure like we stop, you know, in, in the next uh, few minutes or so, give you, give you the time that you need to transition. I have so many things I could ask you. So let me, I'm going to try something fun on, the, on a whim that I've never tried before, which is let's do some like quick hot takes or, or they don't have to be hot. They can just be your takes from all your experience. <laughs> lukewarm uh, takes, got it. Conversion, per y yeah, lukewarm, give me only lukewarm takes. Only, only Switzerland neutral takes. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, conversion percentage from the blog. What's, is there a good number people should be aiming at or expect? Does it really vary thoughts on that? Um, I I'm stealing from, I didn't ever have like a good number. Uh, I think if you're doing everything right, uh, and you're, you're starting to like, you have a wide variety of traffic because conversion percentage from the blog is kind of, uh, can be frustrating. If you look at active campaigns, top blog posts, they are, uh, company, company slogans, like a list of company slogans, uh, the like four types of stakeholders. What is an SDR? It's, it's stuff we wrote a long time ago that then became like ranking number one and brings in tons of traffic, but it's not related to customers or price. It's like generally marketing salesy content. And it does other things. It builds links. So it's not like worthless content. The only people act like the only type of good content is stuff that drives revenue. It's not true. Um, but the, you know, looking at that, like if anybody converted on that, I would be amazed. And they're probably not going to become a paying customer, right? You came here to read about company slogans. It's not happening. Um, so overall from the blog, I think if you really segment it out, like here's the content that it, that should be driving conversions, I think that's a really key point. Some content should just be made to push people to other content to take them from problem aware to solution aware or something like that. Um, instead of trying to get them to book a demo because they Googled what is an SDR that's wild, like ridiculous. Um, but my main metric, stealing from Andrew Kaplan, who runs a consultancy called Delivering Value. He was at Wistia and Postscript. He uses the number 1%. And I'm really comfortable with that. That sounds really small, like a 1% conversion. But I think if you're doing it well over time and you have a mature blog uh, in a mature company and you're in a mature category, 
I think that 1% is pretty fair. Top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, blog content, worthwhile way to organize it and think about structuring when you're getting started, overcomplicating it. What do you think? So I start closer to the money always. Whatever is closer to people making a buying decision, how do I be just as helpful as possible? Not just from an SEO lens, from a content marketing lens. Is this content double as sales enablement? Does this content double as like really spiky and, and kind of punchy social content? Can you know our social media uh, manager pull paragraphs out of here and make those into LinkedIn posts and they do really well? Like Things like that is how I think about it. I also use what I call like a 3S strategy. So a lot of times it's hard to talk to a lot of customers all at once, uh, especially in a big company. Customers kind of get weird and siloed um, it's like, don't talk to them, um, which sounds opposite. Like a lot of us preach talk to customers, but then if you're like, how would I actually talk to my customers? What are the rules? Like all of a sudden you find out there's all these things going on. Um, I think I would start way closer to the money and then just work backwards, right? You can go backwards, but I also think like part okay. of it has to be, you know, let's put our flag in the ground. I was working with a cybersecurity company and they were, you know, I made the recommendation that they rank first. What is cybersecurity? What is threat intelligence? And they're like, why would we ever rank for that top of funnel stuff? I'm like, because in 10 years, like, are you still going to be a company in 10 years? They're like, absolutely. I'm like, are you going to be a hundred million dollar, billion dollar company? They're like, absolutely. And I'm like, then make that investment now. If you really believe in yourself, if you don't believe you're going to exist next year, don't waste your time. Like if you're that, if you're really nervous of like, I don't think we're going to raise our next round of funding, or I don't think we're going to get more customers, or you think something bad's going on behind the scenes, don't make that bet. It's a big, big long-term bet. But if you do believe in yourself yeah. and you do believe in that thing, do make that long-term bet. So things like that, I think, are also a piece of it. I love that sort of stuff. Like it might not drive a ton of customers, but it's so, so important uh, from a brand perspective. Love it. Um, okay. Uh, last last quick take before we get to some of the results that you saw as a result of your efforts. Um, this is one I saw that you post on LinkedIn. Super curious about um, enterprise the value of SEO for enterprise. There's been increasing arguments made uh, among marketing that SEO is just not how enterprise people buy. They go more off of referrals, more off of who they know at mm -hmm. these organizations, things like that. So value of SEO for enterprise companies versus like series A, everyone's like, yeah, everyone's scrapping and hustling to like get more traffic, get more leads any way that they can. SEO makes sense. Enterprise doesn't make, does make sense so much. I can tell you with strong certainty, uh, and this is my hottest take, Nearly 100% of the people telling you that SEO does not work in enterprise are companies that run ads. And that's why they're saying that. They're dogging on SEO. And it's fine. Like, I'm not going to dog on ads. Like, look at all the wasted ad spend out there. It is astronomical, the amount of money. You know, massive companies are turning off all their ads and seeing no decrease in revenue. That's weird. Do ads not work? So the idea of like, that's like saying enterprise buyers don't click on ads. Of course they do. And of course they Google things like enterprise buyers don't Google stuff. That's silly. So here's where SEO comes into the play. Uh, enterprise buying decisions are usually made by a committee or a team. There's a lot of people involved. It's almost never one person being like, we are going to buy this software and everybody else goes, okay. Right. But what you want in that. So if we're going to look at enterprise is SEO, your first play. I don't know if you're coming into the space and you're immediately an enterprise, like you're, oh, we only sell into enterprise. Cool. You're probably a sales led company. Let sales go as long as you can be sales led until you can make an investment in marketing. And this is a weird thing. Like a lot of people expect me to like just champion the SEO channel. Like 
I don't even know the future of that as a channel. Like I have no idea what the future of SEO is. And I'm not mm -hmm. certainly not putting all my eggs in that basket, even though that's what I do really well right now. Um, so I think that like, you know, first of all, like let's look at the source and let's look at like what they do for a living and what they're incentivized to say. Uh, second of all, yeah, absolutely. But I think it's more of that, like when that committee comes up and it's like, Hey, we're thinking of, um, we're thinking of buying data box. Oh, I love their blog. When you have two people at that table that go love their blog and their content, do you have you do you follow their CEO on uh, on social? Yeah, I do. Oh, cool. And one person follows, you know, uh, Peter, and four people have read the blog, and like three other people listen to your podcasts, like that sort of thing. Like I, the idea that like people only listen to podcasts, like the number, the percentage of people that listen to podcasts is extremely low. I just think we get caught up in this like weird Martech sales tech bubble. Yeah. Where we assume, similar to like the Reddit thing, like that's not normal behavior. That's you and me because <laughs> we're weirdos because we know that that exists and like we know the value of it, but 99.99% of people don't, right? Um, same thing with that. Like the idea that, you know, people making buying decisions. And also, you know, I remember talking to uh, Jamie Gilpin, who's the CMO at Sprout Social, uh, which is a wonderful company the here in Chicago. And she said all of her stuff that they have bought has always been brought to her by a team member. So did she make the final decision? Yes. Did she Google anything? No. Did her team probably Google a ton of stuff leading up to it? Did they then like when they Googled like, uh, you know, best whatever software and they looked at like the Captera and G2 and then they, uh, it would be like, oh, I don't, you know, I know that G, the people pay for whatever rankings in G2 or Captera. I don't know how that works exactly, but I know people pay a lot of money. Um, when I look at it, oh, the fifth one down, I've read their blog before. We'll put that on the list. We'll vet them. Oh, I, like that sort of thing where it's like, it's hard to track, uh, but it is, I think it absolutely is. The idea that B2B buyers don't use Google anymore is inaccurate at best. I have a lot of other words to describe it, but I think inaccurate is the most diplomatic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, super helpful perspective. Um, yeah, I love the way that you summarize that. All right. Um, so as I'll, I'll summarize the results here and then I, I would love to know, like, so you said um, as a result of sort, sort of some of these levers that you pulled that you talked about um, at the time, correct me if any of this is wrong, Active Campaign was getting 200000 organic search visitors per month. These refreshes that you did uh, boosted that to 240,000 uh, in the month of March. The glossary pages you, re you referenced uh, specifically saw an increase of 308%. Um, the decayed content that you refreshed went up 29% year over year. Uh, and then the traffic to top content went up 245% year over year. That's, that was as a result of like all these like quick wins you listed coming in within like 30 days. Yeah, it was really, I mean, stuff like that can turn around now again, like, is this true for websites that don't have like tons of site authority and don't already have tons of content? Like maybe not. But in this case, like if you have some of that, uh, most of the clients I work with at Growth Sprints already have a ton of content and they just need to know like, what are the levers to pull? Um, so I think that like, that's kind of the playbook. And yeah, it was, you know, seeing it being like, oh, we, you know, traffic went up 20%. It's like, yeah, from like, what, like 20 to 24. But like when you already like 20% is yeah. really significant 
when you consider, all right, cool, what do those 4,000 extra visitors do? How many like backlinks did that generate for us? And then that further spins the wheel even more and like all these other things. How much of that? The other thing too is like coming in and doing this stuff quick, whether you're a marketer in an economic downturn listening to this right now and you're like, I need to make something out of nothing. I'm trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat over here. These are awesome strategies. Um, or if you're just coming in and want to make a big splash right away so you get buy-in for further stuff. Again, if you're at a big company getting that buy-in, like being like, hey, I can come in and execute and show big wins. They're like, cool, go do these other five things that maybe might take a little longer, you know? No, this is awesome, Brendan. This has been uh, so helpful, so insightful. Um, if you'd be willing, I'd love to like potentially have you back or like submit some additional questions. There's like so many things I, I like selfishly want to dig into from an SEO perspective here. Um, so yeah, would, would love to, to sync back with you more. Thank you for being willing to come on and share all this. Um, where can people, if they want to follow you, if they want to potentially work with you, where do you want them to go? Yeah. If you, uh, here's what we'll do. Uh, if you Google Brendan Hufford, LinkedIn, uh, you'll find my LinkedIn. That way you don't have to, my, I have a very unique name. I feel bad. Uh, you know, I always use uh, my buddy, Justin Jackson as an example, really hard time ranking for his name. Like it's just a very common first and last name, but Brendan Hufford, you can kind of misspell it. However you want. Google's going to get you there. Just Google Brendan Hufford, LinkedIn, or you can go on LinkedIn and start typing Brendan in and I'll probably pop up. That's definitely the best place to follow. I share my best stuff there every single day of the week. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it was awesome chatting with you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.